Bad news delivered well is far more valued by the folks that I, I will talk to that I deeply look up to and respect who have been doing passive investing with far more gray hair than I have. Although I have two young kids and I'm getting gray hair at a much faster rate than I ever have. <laughs> you know, these are this very seasoned, like two cycle, three cycle real estate investors that have been doing this for decades. And they will tell you all day, the number one thing that they look at is communication. This is the Passive Wealth Strategy Show, the show that will help you escape the Wall Street casino and build wealth on Main Street by investing in real estate. I'm your host, Taylor Lote, and today our guest is Spencer Hillagas. Spencer is a full-time passive investor, a financially free real estate investor who had a high-powered career in the tech industry and got out after 13 years through real estate investing. Today, we go through his story, and he also shares his five-part decision-making framework for passive investors, which has been revised for 2023. There's so much great knowledge in this interview for the passive investors who are looking at real estate syndication deals and not really sure what points to consider, what points to look at. Spencer shares with us his top five, his five-part decision-making framework for passive investors. It's a great conversation. He is a wealth of knowledge on tech, leadership, real estate investing, and so much more. You're going to really enjoy it. Once again, I'm your host, Taylor Lode. I'm a real estate investor, and I focus on multifamily and self-storage deals. To date, I have acquired, invested in, partnered on, or otherwise had a hand in over $150 million of commercial real estate acquisitions. If you'd like to learn more about potentially investing with us on a future deal, just go to investwithtaylor.com. Fill out the form and schedule a call, and I will look forward to speaking with you soon. Don't forget to subscribe and catch us here every Monday, Tuesday, and Thursday. Really like seeing you guys here three days a week talking about escaping the Wall Street casino and building wealth on Main Street through investing in real estate. Once again, our guest today is Spencer Hillegas. Let's get to it. Spencer, thanks so much for joining us today. It's been great chatting with you. And I'm excited to go through our conversation today with our listeners. For those out there who don't know about you and your background, can you tell us about what you do, what you invest in, and where you came from? Because you have a very inspiring story that got you successful in real estate. Honored to be here, Taylor. Thank you so much for having me. I almost got carried away because we were just chatting and having a good time talking before we had recorded today. (laughs) So thanks for indulging me and just getting to know each other first. So these days, I'm a full-time passive investor. I run a Madison, a club called Madison Investing for passive investors. It's a joy. You know, never did I think I was going to wake up every morning and basically serve other passive investors doing similar stuff to what we do. I'm also a proud dad of two young boys and a proud husband of a fellow investing wife who's also my COO and co-founder of the club. So that's a separate podcast altogether. That said, I used to be in tech. You know, I was in Silicon Valley technology companies for 13 years building big operations groups, mostly within buzzword fintech, you know, so companies like Intuit that makes dirt turbo tax and QuickBooks. So that was an incredibly educational and occasionally challenging journey. You know, the, the later stages of that, we can always go into if we, if we get there, but that's what prompted me to go look for a different way to, to live, frankly, and invest. And so now, you know, I think about all the folks that I still know personally looking at the 2023 market, like they're, you know, a little bit more shaken, I assume, you know, they're like, wow. We've had a bull economy for the past 13 years, effectively, if you just kind of, you know, cruise by that 2020 COVID moment. But that said, (laughs) sitting here at Silicon Valley, there's people that have been traditionally navigating life, building a career, investing in 401k, retirement accounts, 
you know, live in dual income. That's what it takes to live in these big pricey coastal markets. And that was the life we knew for a long time, Taylor. And now it's just, it's, it's a joy to be able to educate and serve others, educate them and also frankly, share the same type of deals and opportunities and funds that we've put our own money in and still do to this day. So now we've effectively, we just passed the milestone of I've invested over seven figures personally of my own money into deals as a passive investor. And I'm just proud because that that was not an overnight thing. I mean, this has been hard fought over many years. And so, yeah, excited to also just share. We went to the University of Colorado, go Buffs, Boulder, where Jennifer and I met. My snowboard is very dusty, but at this point, you know, I still have to find some fun here and there by playing some really, really sloppy guitar in front of my kid. <laughs> I don't play metal bands anymore, but, you know, I still try to find some time to rock out at least around the house and play wheels on the bus. <laughs> awesome. So when was it that you were able to step away from your career in Silicon Valley? October of 2019. Wow. Wow. Great timing. And how long did it take you to get to that point once you started like investing in real estate and you wanted to just kind of get away from the corporate world. Yeah. You know, and I look back, of course, in hindsight, we all tend to see stuff more clearly, right. And, and a little bit more rosy. <laughs> so let me just also briefly mention, you know, I did grow up in a broker real estate household. My dad was a broker for 30 years. I won't give the full life story, but I'll just say, that's all I knew of real estate. You know, I thought it was, you become a broker, you sell single family homes. So he was having me work on stuff, even as young as, I mean, quote unquote, working at the age of six, but more appropriately doing open houses as a teenager, doing gopher jobs for him, cleaning out a rental, right? The stuff that made me run into tech for 13 years. So I went through all those companies in Silicon Valley, found my way because of a mentor nudged me into taking a role, a leadership role at a fix and flip, you know, single family fix and flip lender. That was also a tech company. It's now called Kiavi. And I built their loan origination groups. They were lending to investors. And that was a really important moment for me because, man, Jennifer and I as parents, dual income, doing well in our careers separately, we were looking for a different way to live because our family was growing and I was not exactly spending a lot of time with them. So the recipe was a bit broken. You know, I was following kind of the Silicon Valley unwritten lottery, as it were, waiting for big company exits and equity to turn into some seven, eight figure check, which is just not real realistic for most folks, despite the Despite the headlines when, you know, in 2021 valuations, for example, were going sky high, that does not happen for the large majority of employees, maybe for the VCs. All that to say, I was handed a book by a coworker and then a couple more books by coworkers who were active flippers on the weekends. Some of these folks were my direct reports in the company. I think you can learn from anywhere. I think humility is, is key in life for thriving. And so I read those books. One of them was Rich Dad, Poor Dad, of course. It's like, they got one behind you. A lot of wisdom in there. And so that sent me down a deep chasm, deep rabbit hole, 24 books later within 18 months. That, that, that's what I devoured nights and weekends, more of like a morning guy. So I guess it was about four to 6 a.m. every day. That was my study before I go to work. And we started investing in kind of a one, two, three phase thing in hindsight, Taylor, very predictable steps to stumble through for first time investors in real estate on our own, which was, we were too scared in, in phase one, if you want to call it that, to do anything out of state. So we went and bought a duplex that cost $430,000 locally after searching the entire summer with our infant son in the car. That was $200 a month. And it is still about $200 a month in cash flow for a $430,000 per. <laughs> Not a cash flow win. It's appreciated, sure, a lot because it's California. But is that the purpose? No, the purpose with the cash flow so we could eventually live full passive. So we learned our lesson. Phase two, we stretched our dollar a bit further by looking outside of California. Got it to five single family rentals in the Midwest. 60K purchase price per, 
which was mind blowing for the folks that were living out here in coastal cities, right? 60,000 bucks a piece, about $250 a month in cash flow per property. Now that's a different equation. That was much more favorable looking. But then we learned firmly, and this is my belief now, Taylor, for sure. Rentals are semi-passive at best, you know, mm-hmm. especially because these were typically like C-class. They turn over every year tenants, you know, so occupancy goes to zero when one person leaves and you don't expect it. So we learned that whole lesson, eventually sold them. We sold those at a game, so we're pleased with that. But then along the way, we started to get to phase three, which was putting our own money passively as LPs or limited partners, which, you know, you know so well, and we've chatted about it as well, into multifamily apartments. And, you know, when I decided to finally pull the ripcord, as it were, or leave my W-2 job, you know, I had phased that in over time and in a more structured, deliberate, nerdy way. So I had replaced about 70% of my, my contribution income to our household. Jennifer was still working in her successful career. So we had that there helping us as well, but I had, we had enough, we had enough to do it. It was still terrifying because I, I had a team that, you know, relied on me. I've been building teams since I was like, you know, 25 and the corporate world, some of those teams were up to 200 people. This team was a bit more nimble and lean. And that was the big report moment. So it was more than you asked for, but I wanted to give folks at least some of that backstory. No, I love that. I appreciate that you broke your investing history, if you will, into three separate stages as a real estate investors. And I think a lot of folks tend to follow a similar path along those lines. They want to buy nearby and then maybe it doesn't work out. Maybe they do buy nearby, but it's not quite what they wanted. They look elsewhere, buy a few things elsewhere, and it's still not quite what they wanted. And then they recalibrate and ultimately get to where they want to be. And that's where you got to. So where you are today, you know, you've been retired a few years. You're doing pretty well in your own real estate investing business. And I understand you have a five-part decision-making framework that is revised for 2023. I'm excited to get into this. We haven't actually talked about this, but I understand that you have such a framework and I'd love to learn more. I know our listeners want to learn more. So let's just dive right into it. Yeah. Well, and I appreciate you going there because this is the stuff I like to, to think about. I know folks who want to start thinking about how to like de-risk whatever can be in any form of investing. You know, they want frameworks. I'm a framework guy. I mean, you're an engineer by trade, as we were chatting about earlier, Taylor, like talk about framework. <laughs> you know, so what I think about, I cannot take credit on the creation of the highest level of this framework that sits right above the five parts of vetting which is anytime I'm looking at a passive investment, whether it's in a multifamily or self-storage or a medical office or like a different form of alternative niche fund that, that we invest in ourselves, looking at the who, number one, I'm looking at the where, if it's market specific, which real estate always is. And then we're looking at really the business plan. So that, that's not the five part. That's the three part that I take zero credit for creating. Someone far smarter than myself came up with that many years ago in real estate real estate investing. But, you know, in the, in the words of my former CEO at, at Intuit, I mean, I got to say, he, he's, he's like, be a thief of good ideas, you know, and give, give credit where it's due. So I don't know who made that, but, but it's absolutely worthwhile to start at that level for anyone. If they're a passive investor, right, is like, I look at who, where, business plan, which is a fancy bow to tie on it just to say everything else, like what's going to happen. So the five part, the five part is really track record, approach, team, communications. And I know this sounds strange and squishy, specifically for the folks that sit out there and they're just pure quant or quantitative. You know, sometimes that weird people out that I say that's too buzzwordy. So I'll say folks that first go to the numbers and do it, do so almost myopic values. Number five is values. And there's no other comment beyond that unless someone's ever curious to go into it. But yeah, you could test for that stuff because I, t- I use it all the time when I was in hiring and hiring and interviewing hundreds of people in the corporate world over the course of 13 years. You better believe you test. So those are the five buckets. And, and Underneath each of those, so for track record, approach, team, communication, values, you know, if I'm looking at a deal, 
one of the first things I'm going to take a look at, number one, is like, what is what has this team done? Have they done something comparable? Is there a re- an approach means repeatable business process? It, it sounds so simple, but what it applies is that the team that's doing this thing, you know, they say they're going to go do a value add. You know, we've done a lot of value add deals and, you know, you're buying this thing. Maybe it's an apartment building. Maybe it's a self-storage facility, whatever. It's already there. You're going to go pull two levers, improve operations, make it more efficient, you know, maybe collect some more income. You're also going to potentially do some renovations. And those are the two levers. And so if the team's saying they're going to go do this and they've done it before, then they should have a repeatable business process. And so that that's the stuff that we look at. So like, what is that process? Like, and, and then you can get a bit more into like the numbers because that can be reflected in a nice, easy to read spreadsheet. You know, that, that really tells everything you need to say in addition to the fancy looking marketing materials and investment rates and stuff. And so anyways, I don't want to go down every single one of the sub bullets we'd be here for hours, but <laughs> that's a couple of the things I'd call out. Well, I'd, I'd love to go down all these, but you're right. It could take several hours. So what a track record team, track record approach, team communications values of getting all, getting all five of them. Correct. So on the team aspect, I think, you know, in this market cycle, we've seen a lot of folks get started and add somebody on their team or claim to have somebody on their team as a in an advisory position. Hey, this guy's got 5,000 units under his belt and he's on our team and so on and so forth. But is that like smoke and mirrors? I mean, how can we go deeper than just like checking the boxes on that and really understanding the whether the team works together well, because you could have a team, this is the whole point of the miracle on ice, right? That they were getting the team to work together constructively, not to just be all great individual hockey players, right? And that's, <laughs> how, so how do we quantify that as investors? How can we figure that out? Don't take the investment summary. The, if, it, if you're looking at any investor, if I'm sitting there looking at the most beautiful piece of marketing material for a deal, you get to the, inevitably you get to a slide, right? And it says, team, you know, sponsor team, you know, operating team, management team, GP, whatever, the people who are claiming to be managing this team. Then if it says a few things that typically mean something else, or they mean a very couple of vague things, you know, not trying to out anyone here. I'm just saying that these are very commonly used terms. If they say strategic partner, you can ask what the real involved, but what really matters is just go and read the actual subscription documents for the deal. That is where ultimately it's going to say, you know, the legal, the big legal document, the one that really matters, the one that I sign if I'm investing in a deal as a passive investor, as a limited partner, it's going to outline the team because it has to. And so it should say the people involved on there and it should be very clear as to their experience level, all those things. The other thing I would call out as well, Taylor, is that, I mean, you, you know, this well, you know, having listened to other episodes of yours as well, and just your experience at this point too, that if you're looking at how that team is constructed, looking at the individual histories of them working together and like, how new is this new marriage, right? I mean, effectively, that's what it is. And I've invested in deals where one of the earliest deals I invested in as an LP, I understood going in that I was investing with one firm that was a student of a coaching firm, right? And there's, these are models that are prolific and they're great. They're effective, frankly. There's nothing wrong. Very common. Very common, right? And I'm very pleased with the outcome of that investment. But I knew going in what I was getting into because I asked enough questions and I read the literature. What you don't want to do is go out and kind of just make assumptions, kind of cruise by and, and, and not get on a phone call if you do have open questions that haven't been addressed, right? Because I, I want to feel like my answer is hell yes going into the deal as opposed to I'm a little uneasy. I don't really know who this person is, et cetera. You also want to know how they get paid. 
you know, that, that, that that's just to be blunt. I know people are scared about talking about money sometimes when they're going into these things earlier on. This is not the time to get sheepish. These, these dollar amounts are at least five figures and sometimes six, right? And so I very much would encourage folks just to be clear on, if you don't understand the way something's phrased, like I'll, I'll sit there and go, okay, well, right. But how do you make money person? And how does that person make money? And like how much? And like, what's the structure? And, and, and this sounds so simple, right? But it could be kind of overwhelming to read these documents sometimes for some folks, for most folks, because legal de- these legal documents are like 100 plus pages long, typically. <laughs> and they're all 100, they're 100 pages of legalese too. It's not like it's 100 pages of leisurely reading. Right? Exactly it's right. Difficult reading. So, okay, great. So we talked about team. We're not obviously not going to get all get to all five of these. I just want to hone in on a few of them. Communications. I'm so glad that you mentioned that, but I'd love to dig in more to what you actually mean by communications. I don't want to read into it too much. I want to see what you're saying, but I feel like that is not a topic that is brought up very often in these discussions. The reason I included it in the early formation of the framework, because at first it wasn't, you know, before we came up, because we came up with this process for our own investing purposes. Like Jennifer and I did. That's why I say we, it's not the royal way. I don't think I'm that big of a deal. That's my my co-founder and my wife and my partner is because we already saw a big difference in the early investments that we made. And how and communication to me means really like two core things. It's like number one, the level of financial transparency being delivered. And modern, it's it, there's so many tools and software. Like, I mean, half my most of my 13 years in tech was like working at companies that literally built the reports and software to provide to people on the other side. So like the bar isn't that high. To, you know, for folks that go out and just find something to produce a profit and loss statement for an investment, or how is this this deal, this property, or this fund of properties performing? So that's the number one. Is this like transparent financials? You know, I got to say sources and uses. Those, if you don't know what those mean, you're a listener out there and you're wanting to get more into LP investing or passive investing, just make sure those two numbers match at the end. Sources and uses. Where's it coming from? How's it going to be used? And then as you're going through that deal after you've invested, is it actually being reflected in the financial statements? Number two, timeliness. Bad news delivered well is far more valued by the folks that I, I will talk to that I deeply look up to and respect who have been doing passive investing with far more gray hair than I have. Although I have two young kids and I'm getting gray hair at a much faster rate than I ever. <laughs> you know, these are this very seasoned, like two cycle, three cycle real estate investors that have been doing this for decades. And they will tell you all day, the number one thing that they look at is communication. So it's not number one of our five-part vetting framework, but you better believe it's the number one thing that they look for because they know there's no shortage of deals, assuming they're already, they're already looking at deals that meet all the other criteria here. They want to make sure if this thing has bumps in the road, which almost every one of these do, small stuff, big stuff, runs the gamut. Just tell people what's happening. You know, Treat people like adults and speak to them as adults. Don't hide stuff. Just tell them quickly. You know, Tell me quickly. And, and so if I'm invested in a deal, you better believe that's the basics. It's it's so funny that this is pure coincidence. I didn't know that was going to be on the list. I have a basically seven red flags in passive real estate investing little video course that we put out available on the website. Awesome. One of my red flags is investor communications. Do they get back to your emails quickly? Do they respond to your questions in a in a clear manner, right? If they don't know the answer right off the bat, maybe they have to go think about it. That's okay. They don't need to know all the answers right, but do they right away, but do they get back to you? Do they give you the answer to your question? They share that information, everything along those lines. It's crazy how it, like we need to have a baseline expectation for those things. And some folks don't. And it's unfortunate that we have to point that out. So, okay. Number five, 
values. Values to me, if, if we're just stepping back, could have a ton of different meanings. Mm. You talked about this in a, a quantitative framework, I suppose, but I'd like to dig into what do you mean by values in this case? Yeah. And I appreciate you asking about it, Taylor. I mean, it, in the comment, I was trying to couch it in is that it can come across as squishy if someone is not necessarily tested for this human to human, because there is a qualitative component for gauging this. You know, and what I mean by that is, yeah, is if before I invest, and if it's a big no- amount of money, like a, like a six-figure amount of money, do I believe based on, inter- like effectively, something that's not sitting there grilling the sponsor or, gr- you know, sitting there in- interviewing truly like a hardcore interview or something for an executive role in a company like my old life. I'm not sitting there making them feel deeply uncomfortable the intensity of the questions that I'm asking, but you better believe I'm going to sit there and say, hey, like, walk me through these are all scenario-based interviewing, which is pretty well established now in the corporate world. You know, this is not something I came up with. This is just behavioral interviewing, basically saying, tell me about a time when, and just letting the sponsor walk through that and then asking follow-up questions after that. And the examples would be, tell me about a time when an investor that you have taken capital from claimed that they did not know, or they were not informed about something. What was it before they invested in your deal? How did they actually reach out to you and inform you about that? How did you react? How did you feel that question? What got them back to the to be comfortable with that object? You know, and I'm giving one example, and then you can dig a little deeper of verification on is that stuff actually happening in addition to things like reference calls or reference checks, right? But that's just to give a taste. It's like there's ways to test for values on here's here's like kind of the, the other other side of this is in the investing world, we all tend to focus on so much of like, hey, I'm gonna go put my capital into this deal. Sometimes in these deals, multifamily in particular, there's a really, arguably, I would say the most important stakeholder in the entire thing, the tenants living in the buildings. In that regard, you know, I've definitely had to ask a sponsor and we did not invest with them, unfortunately. Good person. Still have a relationship with them. This is a few years ago. I was like, so what's your, you know, what's your philosophy on building a good experience for the tenants in the communities that you're actually going and doing all this stuff? And they cruise by it and they ignored it and they treat it like it wasn't a real question. And at that point, I was done. So, you know, some people don't care about that. And I, I'm not here to judge. Every investor's criteria is their own criteria and not to be judged by another human out there, right? Same with mine. But I would just say that, like, if this, if, if this is all purely about the money, you know, then that's just not necessarily something that we want to play in. It's, it has to, it, if there's other, you know, stakeholders, like, like tenants in a building, right? So I don't want to get too preachy here. We're still a, you know, for-profit investing-based capitalist over here. (laughs) Okay. Okay. Interesting. So when you, I'm curious if we could dig for another one of those behavioral interviewing questions. I thought that was a really interesting example, but I'd I'd love to hear another one just while we're here and then we'll move on to the second part of the show. Yeah. I mean, I would say that the other one would be walking through, I don't want to know if it's too big of a can or it's open. (laughs) So you, you tell me. Our listeners can handle it. Yeah. I would say that like there's a muscle memory that's developed when someone has been through a brutal experience as an entrepreneur, especially ideally within real estate. So if they're taking investor money and I'm about to invest my capital with them, like I want to understand what have they been through that has challenged them to their core since they have launched this business that they claim to be experienced in. And I also want to know that in the event that headwinds come, I mean, talk about relevance. February 6th, 2023, the date of this recording. Sorry, I'm not, we're trying to make evergreen content here, but this is the most volatile market that most of us have seen in 13 years, arguably. And it's relevant because 
there's folks out there making decisions under, I mean, we're talking about operators, right? Like, like people who have been taking investor capital. And if I have put my money in with them and I then I have no control over what happens with it now, which is the decision that I made going in. That's what I signed up for. I wanted to make sure that, uh, that I can ask them the question of, walk me through the most challenging time that you have faced as a, as a sponsor today. What made it that, like, why? Like, like, let's get into it and like talk through like, what was that? How did you emerge from that? Was it, were investors impacted? Those are all the types of discussions. And, you know, it's all about the follow-up. The magic's always in the follow-up question, which is why I didn't necessarily want to open the can of worms unless you wanted to go there, Taylor. But it's, it's like, okay, and then what happened? And then, and then how did, how were investors impacted? And then how did you recover from that? And then you get the idea. Hmm. Interesting. Okay. No, I definitely appreciate that example. And I think that helps us, can help us build a framework for building those own questions in our own minds, in our own vetting processes. I love it. Right now, we're going to take a quick break for our sponsor. Are you looking for a way to easily track your rental property finances? Check out Stessa. Stessa makes managing real estate investments simple. You can easily keep track of the performance, finances, and the paper trail of your rental properties. Our listeners can get started for free and then upgrade at any time to unlock their more advanced tools. And the even better news is that the upgrade is very affordable and will not break your bank. Smart investors know that tracking the numbers, tracking the money, tracking the finances is what really drives your success. Check out Stessa. It'll make your property finances easier. Just go to escapingwallstreet.com, scroll down to the Stessa logo, and get started for free. Now back to the show. All right, Spencer, I've got three questions I ask every guest on the show. Are you ready? I am ready. Great. First one, what is the best investment you ever made other than in your education? I mean, ironically, this would have to be, this is the most controversial answer in investing, I would say, buying our first home because it was really tough for us to pull off. It's the Bay Area. We bought it in the Bay Area. It was hard. We were we did it earlier than any of our peer group. Thankfully, we did it at the very beginning of a 13-year run. Mark, <laughs> we then were able to, I mean, here's the story that house was on Madison street, you know, and that's where we built our family. It's also where we were able to tap some equity in our home from the crazy amounts of appreciation that we got to start doing some of the early investments passively along the way. So is that like the strategy to go build cash flow for an investor? Well, no, clearly not. But that's the whole thing is that ended up being one of the most important investments. Nice. Nice. I love it. So we had the best investment. Now we go to the other side of that coin, the worst investment. This one's a little bit more painful. What is the worst investment you ever made? Putting money in Celsius, the crypto platform. That was 30K of money I'm not going to get back. Oh, ouch. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so that's, that probably takes the cake. Wow. Well, my favorite question here at the end of the show is what is the most important lesson you've learned in business and investing? Every single relationship with the humans around us and with my, you know, my colleagues, my friends, family, beyond acquaintances, you know, our connection here today, Taylor, like this is a very connected world. And ultimately, if I can go back to myself in my twenties, earlier years, we're all very career centric. I mean, most of us, if we're going to be more career centric, those are the times when we're doing it. Short-sightedness hits hard at that point. And it's more about yourself. If I could go back in time, I would have put way more of a long view. If I can figuratively grab myself by the shoulders and say, hey man, just go in, 
be, be curious about others, make connections, assume that you're going to go out and know these people for the next 30 years because you might, you know, and it's not just because, oh, they can go out and, you know, do things for you. It's because frankly, paying it forward comes back around. That's just the way that the world works. And I think that that would be the biggest nugget of wisdom if I could go back to my younger self. I love it. Wow. That's a great one. And Spencer, I want to thank you for joining us today and sharing a lot of great knowledge with us. If folks want to reach out, if they want to get in touch, if they want to find you on the internet or anything like that, where can they track you down? Yeah, at our website for the the Passive Investing Club. It's at madisoninvesting.com. And uh, actually, we also just recently put out a, a new educational recourse for folks that are new to passive investing as well. And it's just the, the blueprint for passive investors. It's a seven-part series. So we worked really hard on it. Hopefully people like it. But if you're more eager, they just want to you know get get to know how I look at deals and passive investing, go to madisoninvesting.com. Awesome. Well, thank you once again for joining us today. To everybody out there, thank you for tuning in. If you're enjoying the show, please leave us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. Five stars if you don't mind, you guys. I appreciate that so, so much. That helps other people learn about the show because that helps us rank higher in the Apple Podcasts ecosystem. And I'm always honest with you guys. That gives me a nice little warm and fuzzy feeling because I get to see that you're engaging with the content and you're escaping the Wall Street Casino along with us. Don't forget to subscribe and catch us here every Monday, Tuesday, and Thursday. Right now, I hope you have a great rest of your day, and we'll talk to you on the next one. Bye-bye.